Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. George Redhawk doesn't allow his sight loss to stop him from creating digital morphing animations. He began to lose his vision while teaching medicine and his disability forced him to give up his trade after four years. Suffering with visual distortions that were created by his mind, he turned to computers to create the World Through My Eyes series, which is an artistic representation of what he sees. And George joins me now. George, thank you so much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Now, you started to lose your sight while you were working with medicine. Tell us a bit about that. Take us back to that time. Oh, well, it came on all of a sudden, actually. I'd been working in, in the medical field, and like many medical professionals, I advanced in my career. I started as a medical assistant, and then I became a certified phlebotomy technician. Uh, eventually, I went back to school one again and uh, became a, an x-ray tech, a radiologic technician. And uh, there came a time in my career where someone suggested that I had so much experience that I should possibly try teaching. And so I started teaching in uh, the technical college system in the United States. And so I was uh, teaching uh, several years. Uh, I missed clinical care. I went back into clinical care. Uh, when I was in clinical care, I missed teaching, and when I was teaching, I missed clinical care. So I kind of went with my career back and forth between the two, and uh, suddenly in the middle of uh, my teaching, uh, I noticed I was having some problems with my vision. So it, uh, it progressed rapidly from there. Uh, nobody was quite sure what was going on in the beginning. Uh, it took quite a while before anybody finally diagnosed it, so um, it didn't take very long for the for it to kind of uh, disrupt my life. But uh, I just uh, continued to teach for as long as I could. I taught for four years, although uh, I was already declared legally blind. But uh, the progression of my vision loss eventually caused me to uh, have to give up the career and all of that, so. So tell us a bit about your diagnosis then. What, what is the condition? The best guess really <laughs> from anybody's perspective is cone rod dystrophy. Uh, it seems to make the most logical sense. At the time when I was losing my sight, I wasn't too much concerned with uh, exactly what was causing my vision loss. Um, I wanted my doctor and myself, we wanted to focus on how to maximize my remaining sight so that I could continue working and continue with my career. Uh, I was mainly concerned with, uh, well, let's do something so that I can keep on working, keep on functioning and uh, try to uh, save my life from uh, the disaster that I knew was forthcoming. <laughs> so uh, after I had lost my sight and it stopped working, um, of course, then I, I could receive many different services. There was really nothing available to help me to save my life and career. There's no services until after you're already uh, completely wiped out. Now, it must have been absolutely excruciating time for you because I know from, you know, going from a fully sighted person myself with, with never any eye conditions and working as well to going to no sight whatsoever very quickly and, you know, having no idea what you're going to do career-wise. I mean, it is a terrifying prospect. But actually, you have really taken what you see and you've kind of run with it, haven't you? Because you see really extraordinary kind of morphing, distorted pictures in your head, don't you? Yeah, it's kind of strange um, that uh, 
actually uh, the loss of my side turned out to be an asset <laughs> as far as my art career goes. I mean, many people in the, in the uh, visually impaired and blind community, they don't like to discuss that they're actually suffering from visual hallucinations. Uh, I can definitely understand why. I mean, uh, you went through it yourself, uh, and I'm sure your family, uh, it devastated them and mine as well. The last thing in the world I wanted to let anybody know was that I was uh, experiencing visual hallucinations and make everybody think I was suffering from dementia as well. Uh, so I just kind of kept quiet about it. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I was having all kinds of weird things go on with my with my mind not accepting the idea that there wasn't enough data being sent to my brain. And so my brain was compensating by sending all these weird uh, morphine transitioning, uh, like kaleidoscopic uh, type of vision to me as it tried to determine what exactly I was looking at. Uh, this is what uh, inspired me and led me to try to find a way to express this because I didn't feel I could vocalize it with anyone. I still haven't really found a voice for it at this point. But uh, so I started experimenting and kind of self-taught myself. I had a lot of time on the computer. And so I was fortunate uh, uh, with enough uh, magnification, visual aids, I was still able to function relatively well on the computer. So I started experimenting and uh, eventually came up with what they now call the Red Hawk effect. Now, this is where the series The World Through My Eyes came from, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, initially started calling it the world through my eyes and nobody uh, really understood what I was trying to project because I kind of uh, didn't mention anyone that I, that I had any vision problems <laughs> in the beginning. I, just, I, I didn't really think it was pertinent, but as my art became more well known and it started to spread and it kind of went viral all over the internet, a uh, magazine started reaching out to me to ask for interviews and uh, I gave interviews and still I didn't mention it. Uh, until finally, uh, somewhere in 2015, possibly, maybe 2014, I'm not quite sure, but I had developed a good relationship and felt, you know, comfortable with the guy who I was uh, interviewing with over the course of several days. And uh, so after we were concluded with our interview, I said, by the way, is this a good time to mention that I'm blind? <laughs> My goodness. And he said, get out of here. You must be joking. And I said, no, actually, I'm legally blind. Um, and of course, he ran as an exclusive and ran with it. And uh, all the other magazines who had interviewed me previously contacted me and said, we just read this. Is this true? And I said, yes. And it kind of went a little crazy. And uh, everybody just kind of went. Oh, okay. Well, now we're starting to get it because you know, what I mean, because people want to know more about what is the deeper meaning behind an artist's work. And I really, really didn't perceive myself as an artist. Basically, I was just, uh, a, I, I still see myself as a guy who's just playing with other people's art and uh, just trying to represent how. Uh, it looks in my eyes, and so it was entitled The World Through My Eyes, and now people understood why it was entitled that, and uh, they understood a lot more about what I was doing and why I was doing it. So. It's a fascinating story, George. It really, really is. Now, you mentioned that, that you started playing around with other people's art. Uh, explain that. Well, like many people on the Internet, you know, I mean, people like to share art that they run across or photography that they see. And they say, wow, this is really nice. I'm going to share it with all my friends on social media. 
uh, I was doing the same thing, but I was doing it a little differently. I was applying my motion effects to it. And uh, because I was using a morphing software back then, we've all seen morphs where maybe somebody's face morphs into that of a cat or whatever. Uh, one day on a whim, I just said, gee, I wonder what happens if I can morph an image to the exact same image. And I realized I could get all kinds of strange movements out of the image, but yet it always morphed and returned to the original. And so it created a perfectly looped uh, metamorphic change. And it was well representative of what I was seeing as I was trying to discern what I was looking at. So I kept playing with it to try to perfect it. So I was really, really happy when I discovered uh, a new software company had seen this type of art and said, we need to take this to the next level and uh, create a professional software. And so I was really happy that we all got together and uh, I'm now working with uh, Plotograph Pro software and uh, it's just made the process so much easier. So I've been working as a consultant with them to help them to develop their software and now working as a ambassador to them and promoting the software. So we're all working together to, to bring motion art into mainstream. And uh, we've had a lot of uh, good response from some very high-end clients. And uh, suddenly, all of a sudden, I'm back to work again. <laughs> so after being retired for 10 years, I fi suddenly find myself with a job. It's just great. It really is. It's an incredible, incredible story. Now, tell us a bit about the most famous piece of art that you've worked with then. I started doing this for artists all over the world. Uh, big names like Adam Martinicus, uh, Cameron Gray, Gregoire A. Meyer. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. The list goes on. I'm now making and collaborating with them. And a strange thing happened. We realized that we get so many more views when it's animated like this. And people started saying, wow, there's really something to this. Uh, because if you just put out the static image, okay, it does well. People like it. But when you put it out animated, everybody just goes, holy cow, what the heck is that? And they start sharing it all over the Internet and it goes viral. So there's really something to it that's really appealing that I don't quite understand, nor does anyone else. But the, the fact of the matter is everybody seems to enjoy them. I have done work with 20th Century Fox. That was a very uh, fun project. They wanted me to, to uh, work on some of their images to help promote a movie. Uh, the movie is Morgan which uh, just came out a couple of months ago. And they asked me to uh, work on some still images from the movie itself so they could help promote the film. Uh, I work with Nicola Formaschetti. And uh, I didn't know who Nicola Formaschetti is. Sorry, Nicola. He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> I had no idea who he was. Uh, he turns out to be the creative director of the Diso clothing line. And uh, very famous in the fashion world. Uh, I didn't have any knowledge of anybody in the fashion world, so I had no idea that he was a very famous person. So uh, next thing you know, Diesel Clothing were asking me to do work. So I did some work for them. Uh, I even got the attention of the United States government. And just a few days ago, I was a guest speaker for their um, um, a program with the United States Department of Agriculture, which deals with Native American and disabled community and inclusion into the workforce and they had me as a guest speaker that was really fun people seem to like the story and 
you know, it's one of those feel-good stories. Guy loses his career, destroys his life, and then resurfaces as a world-famous artist. Kind of strange. Do you know... It's just incredible how you can lose one thing in your life and all of a sudden you think your life is completely over. You know, where do you go? Everybody else is is pursuing their careers. They're getting on with their lives. They're doing their daily thing. And all of a sudden you feel you're back at start. You know, you, you're back at the word go. And, and where do you go? Where do you go from there? And uh, to hear a story like this is incredibly inspirational. That's what people keep saying, you know, they, they say I'm a, an inspiration, but I don't know if I agree with that because I wasn't brave, I wasn't strong. My blindness destroyed me. It destroyed me physically, financially, emotionally, psychologically, every way you can possibly think of. I was a completely destroyed person. Uh, I don't find that to be inspirational. Uh, I got lucky, uh, I say, by the grace of God just from like i said i started to just this desire to express uh what i was experiencing which they call charles bonnet syndrome i decided i was going to show the world and uh suddenly it went viral and uh it all just happened out of the blue i i, I wasn't planning to be an artist or to start a new career i wasn't trying to promote myself Every one of these contacts, even 20th Century Fox, uh, everybody has reached out to me. I don't even have a website. <laughs> I, don't even, I mean, everybody keeps telling me, you're the hardest guy in the world to find. I said, well, I'm right here on Google+. And they said, well, nobody's on Google+. And I said, well, I've got 36 million views. <laughs> you know, apparently somebody's on Google+. I am. This is where I started uh, sharing with my friends, and it just kind of grew. It grew to 36 million viewers. But the thing is, what makes it inspirational, George, and you're very, very modest, but what does make this an inspirational story is that we, as blind people, people that have seen fully and then lose our sight. And I'm talking about myself and obviously yourself, and, and I'm sure many other people listening could uh, agree with me when I say this, but you do hit rock bottom. And it's how you deal with it while you're at rock bottom because you know there's no further you can go. It's either game over or you start clawing your way back up slowly. And it's the fact that you have clawed your way back up slowly. And it doesn't matter whether you meant to or not. The inspiration is that you've done it. And, and look at you now. I mean, you're a world-famous artist and, and an extremely happy, satisfied, content man. Well, you know, I'm, I'm Native American. And um, Native Americans, we, we have this very strong belief in choosing paths and recognizing when you're on the wrong path and there's only one way back you have to turn around return to find the right path and when you find the right path you know in your heart it's the right path i knew the path i was on was not the path to happiness i was in a very very dark place and something that was really driving me was how would I be remembered? I mean, I was a very prominent, respected member of the medical and educational communities. And suddenly I found myself as this destroyed, homeless person who was in a dark place because of the loss of my sight. And I didn't want to be remembered like that. So it was a long journey back to find 
the right path and to try to find some way to alter the perception of what I had become. I would have given anything in the world that my family did not have to see that. It hurt me deeply to have to to had to have shared that with them, that they watched me sink into this dark pit. And so it meant the world to me to, to try to find the right path and to find the path to happiness. I used to wake up and the first thought that entered my head as soon as I opened my eyes was another day like this. And in order to change my path, I had to find another way to perceive life. And instead of seeing the negatives that were in front of my eyes, I had to try to somehow search for the positives and find the things to be thankful for. And so the idea of doing this art and that it was being well received and that people enjoyed it, it gave me more to look forward to. And so I continued to work on it, to perfect it, to make it better because I saw this as a path to give me some form of happiness. Uh, I felt it was the right path, and so I'm still on that path, and I'm still not sure where it's going to lead. <laughs> but so far, it's been going pretty good. <laughs> you see, I totally get what you're saying in the respect that, you know, when you're talking about leaving your mark on the world, you know, I had my dark times as well, but I also uh, had a partner who was diagnosed with a terminal illness and he felt the exact same. He wanted to desperately do something to leave his mark in the world before he he passed away. And he is gone now, but, but he wrote a book. He wrote a book on something that, that was so incredibly important to him. And, you know, he, he's immortalized in that book and, and that was his goal. Um, so everybody needs a goal. Everybody needs something to push towards, George. And, and honestly, I just find your story incredible. Incredible. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's been an incredible journey, and uh, like I said, uh, it still continues. Uh, now that I'm working with uh, Plotograph Pro, uh, their software is just absolutely incredible. I helped uh, consult on the design of it, so it's just uh, things just keep growing and growing. George, where can people see your work? We have to be able to, I know you don't have a Facebook page and you don't have a website, <laughs> but we have to be able to find your work somewhere. <laughs> well, I'm on Google+. Plus. I know everybody keeps telling me nobody's on Google+. Plus. That's where I put it. I put it out on Google+. Plus. I have uh, a Google+, Plus account uh, under George Redhawk. And uh, I have multiple albums there. Uh, I began with uh, the world through my eyes. Then I made volume two, then volume three, because because they are they are GIF or GIF, however people want to pronounce it. They they can be quite heavy. So I realized that the the photo albums were being overloaded and they were uh, stalling. Uh, they were, they don't want to load up so well. So I, I try to keep them under a hundred uh, photos per album. And when I realize that I'm getting near a hundred, I open up a new one. I think I'm on volume ten at this point. <laughs> So they just keep growing and growing. I try to do as much as I can. I'm constantly working. 
But uh, now that uh, people are starting to recognize my work, I, I get a lot of uh, requests from, like I said, very famous artists, and I'm, I collaborate with artists. All my works are collaborations. I, I am not the original artist of the original works. So basically, an artist, uh, whether it be digital artist, photographer, or even painters, I do work with them and I collaborate with them and uh, I post uh, them on Google Plus. From there, everybody spreads them all over the internet. They, they then take them and share them on Facebook, Instagram, uh, wherever, uh, I don't know. Because of my, my low vision, it is too difficult to manage more than one presence online. And so I just keep the one account. It's much simpler then. And with 36 million viewers, I, uh, there's, uh, it keeps me quite busy. I like to comment to everybody who comments. I like to thank them for coming by. And so there'd be no way I could possibly manage another 36 million on Facebook or something. That'd be impossible. So uh, now that I've joined with Plotograph, uh, the management team is going to manage these things for me. They do help me with an awful lot. Well, George, I have to say, it's been fascinating talking to you today. It really has. And thank you so much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. The very best of luck with the future. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate all the work that the RNIB is doing. Uh, you do some fantastic work to help to get out the word to people, especially with this uh, project of how I see. That fits perfectly in line with what I'm doing. <laughs> I've been showing how I see for quite some time, so it was really great to uh, to hear about your project of how I see and bringing about awareness to the community about the visually impaired uh, community and that uh, the stereotypes that people have about blind people don't apply. And so it's just really great work that you're doing as well. It's a pleasure to be here. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.